Father God, we thank you for this place. God, I thank you that each week we get to come and we get to gather and join together in your presence and we get to rejoice in the goodness of your son, Jesus. God, I pray that today as we are here and as we sing these songs and as we hear these words of scripture, God, that we would find joy, that we would find peace, that we would find a calm assurance in knowing that you have control of all things. God, when we think of all that the world has and we think of everything that is mounted against us, may we find peace in knowing that you are above all things. So we lift your name up today and we rejoice in your goodness this day. And we pray all these things in your precious and holy son's name. Amen. We're a few short days away from Christmas, and it's the day that we have been spending the last month preparing for as we have thought about the same things that we talk about every Advent of peace, hope, love, and today we'll talk about joy. And we've talked about joy several times. Joy is that feeling within you that is not based on circumstances and what I hope you are learning about being a believer in Christ and having a relationship with Christ is that it's something that is not based on circumstances. That the things that Jesus comes to bring us are things that uh, transcend beyond our situation, transcend beyond the things that we are experiencing to something consistent, something that we see God has planned for us and God has made available for us uh, despite the things of the world. And if we've paid attention to anything at all through the word of God, we understand that that is exactly what the person of Jesus has come to do is to bring hope, to bring hope despite the fact that we live in a sinful and a fallen creation and that each one of us are susceptible and affected by sin. And so as we talk about joy today, and we consider what it means to be an almost joyful person, I think what it does is it calls us to look at our mindset. You know, so often in life, everything that we consider is based on our perspective. And if we would just change the perspective by which we looked at pretty much any single situation that we experience, we would see that things look different when you look at them from a different set of eyes. Uh, if we look in the news at all the uh, civil unrest that is going on, we see things from our perspective. We see things from the TV screen. We see things from the news. We hear things from commentators. But yet if we were at ground zero and we were talking to the ones who were present and we were speaking to the ones who were affected, our perspective would probably change. You see, our perspective is, is the most important thing we have when it comes to understanding the life that we are to live in this world. Our perspective is what is important if we are to be successful in the life that Jesus Christ has made possible for us. Because our situation doesn't change, does it? Sin doesn't go away the moment that we realize that we are in need of a Savior. The things that affect us in this world that we know are evidence of sin don't cease to affect us the moment that we give our lives to Christ. Life does not automatically get easier and everything does not become a walk in the park and we don't go to Mayberry and live the rest of our lives, do we? No, as a matter of fact, for most of us, we enter into a struggle and we begin to realize, as Paul would say, that there is something within us 
that keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do. There is a struggle within us, a power within us that influences us to do the things that when we read God's word, we know is not what God wants for us. And yet we struggle and we tell ourselves we want to do away with these things because we know who God wants us to be, but yet within ourselves we can't do it. And we end up doing them. So our perspective has changed where we no longer see the world uh, just as normal, but instead we're able to see the things that have affected God's creation. We're able to see the things that Satan places in our path, that our own sin and our, our weakness of our flesh puts in between us and experiencing the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so each year we celebrate Advent to remind ourselves of what happened on that day when Jesus Christ was born and he was placed in a manger. You see, the perspective of the people during that day would be that there was just another baby who probably belonged to the outcast crowd, who was homeless, who didn't belong to the upper echelons of society or did not have the money or the influence to get the things that they would need uh, for such an occasion as giving birth to a baby. They would just see that as another outcast being born in a manger to take whatever scraps or whatever leftovers somebody had so that they could eke by an existence. That's a perspective that most of the people saw at that time. If you think of Rome, the greatest empire in the world at that time, and look at their perspective, that supposedly this was the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one who would transform things and redo kingdoms of the world, but yet it was a baby. There were no vast legions and armies following him. There were no chariots and soldiers. It was a baby. Not only that, it was not a baby of influence. It was a baby that was born in a barn. But you look at the perspective of the shepherds. In the video we saw, and I love the rendition and the goals of the mustache for days. But look at his perspective. Someone who considered himself a nobody, a non-important person that lived out in the fields, that society looked down upon. And from his perspective, an angel had just come and told him that the Messiah was to be born. That's overwhelming news, if anything. And he said it doesn't make sense. From what he could see and from what he could understand of all the things that he knew of Scripture and the prophet's words before the birth of Jesus, it did make sense to him. But maybe that's it. His perspective began to align with what the angel was saying that today good news has come and great, great things are in store because God has sent his son Jesus Christ in the form of a baby born in a manger. And then he said, this is the greatest news that humanity could ever hear. You see, his perspective changed from where he was and who he was considered in society to the things that he knew God was speaking. And so when we think about having an almost joy, we can experience an almost joy in terms of the life that God wants us to have when we still try to fit God within the box of our understanding. When we say, well, life isn't working out, but that's okay because I have Jesus. You and I both know that that very rarely ever fixes our problems. Am I right? When finances aren't working out, when a family member's sick, 
when it seems like the whole world is stacked against you, to say that Jesus is on my side sometimes doesn't do the stuff we want it to do, does it? Let's just be honest with ourselves. So how do we experience an altogether joy instead of an almost joy? You see, an almost joy, even if it's powerful, even if it's that mountaintop experience, is something that never remains. And most often it is based on our ability to control our situation. Almost joy is when that extra check comes in the mail that we didn't plan about. Or almost joy is if we get good news from the doctor. But how do we maintain joy if the money doesn't come in? If the news from the doctor is not the best, what does our joy look like? So, here's something we need to understand first and foremost. Is that joy is a gift. Joy is not something that we are born with inside of us. Joy is not something that we can fabricate for ourselves. It's not something that we can provide for ourselves. Joy is a gift. And it's something that it would come as a security. From knowing that everything is going to be okay. From knowing that your future, that your eternity has already been taken care of. And we only know one source where that comes from, don't we? So I want you to read with me if you brought your Bibles. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. It says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. The light shined in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about this light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And John himself was not the light, but he was simply a witness to tell about the light. He's saying amen in baby talk. I knew what he was saying. (laughs) The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone. The one who is coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. So the word became human, and he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he was shouting to the crowds, This is the one that I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he has existed long before me. From his abundance we will have received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is God himself, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. So when we think about joy, first and foremost, our foundation must begin with the person of Jesus Christ. As you just heard from the way that John opened his gospel, Jesus Christ was one from the foundation of the world that was sent with the purpose to reveal the glory of God the Father to all who would believe. And that is where the foundation of all the joy of our life must begin. And I know you're thinking now, Matt, how does that help us in situations when life is hard, when life is tough? And here's why I want to leave you with with two thoughts to think about. Whenever you think about joy, here's two things I want you to consider. Um, These were by Charles Spurgeon, and he wrote these when he was talking about joy. If you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, like 
most people are here. Some preachers are here. Charles Spurgeon was like way up here. He was like an animal. And, and I think him and John the Baptist would have been like twins, honestly. The way that he could declare the goodness of God and the way that he could expound on Scripture was insane. Uh, but he, he did a, a thing with joy that I think is essential for you and I to understand because it changes our perspective from instead trying to make the joy of God be the band-aid that fixes our current situation to realizing that our current situation has absolutely nothing to do with our ability to have joy. Because if our perspective aligns up with the things and the way that Jesus Christ had intended for them too, you could actually rejoice in the worst situation. Remember Paul, that dude that met Jesus that day on the road, and we talk about him every Sunday. Please tell me you know who Paul is. Dude was in prison and he was rejoicing. Not because he didn't get beat that day, because it was Tuesday and all the guards were off. But he was rejoicing because he knew that in prison, he had a captive audience, literally and figuratively. People had to listen to him talk about Jesus because other prisoners couldn't leave and the guards can't leave the prisoners. So he said, what better place could I be than right here where nobody can do anything about it and I can talk about Jesus. You see, his joy didn't, didn't matter about his situation. It didn't matter about his circumstances. But his joy was based in his perspective because he realized who Jesus was. So I want you to hear these two thoughts from Charles Spurgeon. He said, it is not to sorrow, but it's to joy that the great king invites his subjects when he glorifies his son Jesus. That sounds pretty deep, but it's really simple. You see, sometimes we like to take this Christian life, we like to take this thing that we believe Jesus has invited us to, and for some reason, we make it a struggle. We, we punish ourselves and we put ourselves through these punitive tasks all day long because we realize that we're not good enough. Well, the, the reason we weren't good enough is the whole reason we have Jesus. We know that. And if God said, hey, you, you know, you're good enough that I'm going to give you my son, why do we turn this thing that God has intended for good into this eternal grounding, this eternal punishment series? Why do we do that? It's because our joy is not based on the right perspective. But instead we see who we are in light of who God is instead of seeing what Jesus Christ did for us in light of who we were. Because of who God is. Does that make sense? We're looking at ourselves all wrong and we're trying to do things based on our own powers and our own abilities. But he would say this, he said it was for love. It was for love in the gospel that you and I as sinners have been invited to be reconciled with God. It was because of God's love that we had been invited to be reconciled to God. That we had been assured that God would forgive us of our sin that God would cease to be angry with us and that God would reconcile each one of us to Him because of His Son, Jesus Christ. And in this, the love of God was established between God and the soul of the believer. Have you ever thought about that? That the love of God has been established between God the Creator the sustainer and giver of life, the one whose kingdom knows no end, the one whose authority bows to no one else, has been established not just with you relationally, not just with you cordially, but with your soul. With the very innermost part of your being, God has established His love with you. How do you think life would look if that was the perspective by which we tackled everything? To realize that God had established Himself with our soul. 
Then he would go on to say is that it would be for laughter, for happiness or joy. God wants you to be happy. God sent his son Jesus Christ not so that you could wallow around in your horribleness, in your brokenness. God already knew that. But God established his love with you so that you could experience laughter. You know why? Because God created you for laughter. God did not create human beings to walk the earth and to experience all the hardships of life and try to do the best that they can to measure up. No, God originally created us to experience blessing, to experience goodness, to experience joy. But sin broke that. Our hard-headedness broke that. Our pride broke that. Our willingness to try something different because we don't think that what God had was good enough broke that. But yet God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to establish His love so that we would experience laughter, happiness, and joy. Those who come to God in Jesus Christ and believe in Him have their hearts filled with an overflowing peace. The calm lake of peace which often lifts up itself in waves of joy. And they clap their hands in exultation. I bet that's where Paul was at, don't you think? I'm going to be honest with you. If I was sitting in jail because of my faith, one of my last thoughts would probably be, now I have a captive audience. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to be thinking, first and foremost, I'm cold. I'm going to be thinking, second, first and foremost, this guy in the next cell is a lot bigger than I am. What's going to happen when we go to lunch? But Paul didn't think that. Paul wasn't worried about that. Why? Because Paul's perspective. He said, if Jesus Christ has saved me so that I can experience the goodness of God, what else matters? Matter of fact, he told a group of believers that. He said, the smallest thing that God has for you is nothing compared to the joy that you're going to experience. Don't worry about things in this earth because it's nothing compared for what God has for you. But if our perspective is allowing sin to still tell us how bad we are, if we believe in Jesus Christ, why do we allow sin to still have control over us? To tell us how awful we are, how pitiful we are. I know that's a struggle we all have. I have that on a daily basis. I know who I am. But so does God. So does Jesus. And even when God knew who you were, knew you even better than you knew yourself, He still sent His Son, Jesus. Not to make you feel bad, not to guilt you to death, not so that you would walk around in this thing of piety, uh, humiliation, but so that you could realize that God created you to experience His blessing and to experience joy. It's not to sorrow, but it's to joy that the great King invites His subjects. God invites you to joy. For when He glorifies His Son Jesus, it's not that you might be distressed, but that you may be delighted that He bids you to believe in the crucified Savior and live. So I want to ask you about your perspective. Are you living? Are you living in the joy that God intended you to have? Or are you still allowing your sin to tell you that you're not good enough? Now I want you to understand something. Without Jesus Christ, you're not good enough. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. This is all because of Jesus. That's the whole reason we celebrate Advent is because of Jesus. That is the whole reason we are able to come to church and to worship it is because of Jesus Christ. It is only because of Jesus that God hears us. But I want you to hear this. There is nothing that you have done that is meant for God not 
to take away. There is nothing that you could do that Jesus cannot undo. But we have to realize that our perspective has to change. That we have to become somebody different than who we, are, who we were across the board. It means that we can no longer measure our faith by our situation. It's easy to be faithful when everything's going good, right? It's easy to say we have peace when everything is peaceful. It's easy to say we have hope when it looks like everything's going to be good. But what about the other way? You see, that only comes if we realize that God sent Jesus Christ so that we could experience happiness. So that we could live in a joy that's not just for now, but it is for eternity. That's what experiencing the fullness of joy is. An assurance that God is truly with us. And that each moment of our lives we are filled with anticipation. Paul lived each moment of his life excited about the fact that there was going to be another opportunity to share Jesus Christ. Because Paul understood what it means to believe in Jesus. What it means to believe that even though we are now in the midst of brokenness, that tomorrow is coming. And I'm not talking about Monday. But I'm talking about an eternity with God. Where sin is no more. Where fear, anxiety, depression, doubt, taxes, 24-hour news, will be no more. But yet we can experience happiness and peace and an assurance for the rest of eternity. Another thing about altogether joy or the fullness of the joy that Jesus Christ brings. And this, one, this one's my favorite. I love this one. I thought about a tattoo and Whitney told me absolutely not. Our joy is that we have to deal day, with, day to day with lost souls who are not yet hopelessly lost. Have you ever thought about that being your joy? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I have road rage. I've, we've talked about this. We know this. And I've thought about that. People that get on our nerves, people that drive us crazy, people that we can't stand, people that we would just pray that God would give them what they deserve. You know what I'm talking about? But our joy can be that we get to deal with those people day after day and we realize that they're not hopelessly lost. I think that's where Paul was for the rest of his life is that he realized that this person in front of him who was about to beat him with a whip was somebody that God loved so much that he sent his son Jesus for. That these people who would throw rocks at him as he was processed through town to go stand in front of uh, Rome were the ones that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for. And he found joy in that. Why? Because his perspective had changed. He no, no longer saw those people as people who were against him. He no longer saw those people as enemies. But yet he saw those people through the same eyes that God saw him. That they were important enough, that they mattered enough, that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for them. He said, My soul sees as in a vision a soul hopelessly lost, drifting on the waves of eternity beyond our, all hope or help. Alas, millions of our race are now in that condition. 
upon them has passed the second death, and powerless are we all to save them. Towards even the gospel has no aspect of hope. So it would seem that their life is so far gone that the, the way that they have done themselves, the things that they have allowed to happen to themselves, have put them in a place where they are so far gone that not even the message of Jesus Christ could save them. But this is what he would say. He would say, our joy is that we have to deal day, with, day to day with these lost souls. They're not hopelessly lost. They may be dead in sin, but yet there's a quickening power which can make them live. You know what that power is? It's the power of Jesus Christ. That's why we remember Advent. That's why we celebrate Advent. That's why as believers we cannot settle to have an almost joy. To be happy, good little Christians as long as everything's good and the coffee's right and our Instagram picture looked right. That's why we have to pursue the perfect joy of God, the perfect joy of peace. Because you and I have a mission. You and I have a responsibility. You and I have a privilege. We can either live this life for ourselves and we can go on after we die and not matter really that much to the world anymore. Or we can realize what Jesus Christ has done in us and we can use this life to make a difference and to change the world. Have you ever thought about you being able to change the world? We probably don't ever think about that, do we? I wonder if the preacher that led Billy Graham to Jesus Christ ever thought that he would change the world. I think Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus in Sunday school. You ever taught Sunday school and think you're changing the world? I doubt he did that Sunday. But look what happened through that one Sunday. You have the ability to do that every single time you speak. But it's only when you realize that the power of Jesus Christ alive in you, that being the perspective by which you look at everything, the foundation of your joy, that is when that happens. O mariner, of, and, o mariner of the sea of life, fisher of men upon the stormy sea, castaways whom you meet are acceptable to your efforts of compassion. They can be rescued from the pitless deeps, and your mission is not a hopeless one. Have you ever heard me talk to you that way? You see what I'm saying down here and up here? Great language, great words. So my challenge for you is this. We read from John's gospel about the light who would come to the darkness. He says that the word gave life to everything that was created. To everything that was created. Even the person who cut us off. Even the person that needs to get what they deserve. He gave life to that person. And he brought light so that everyone could experience it. Not just the ones who were worthy. Not just the ones who, who we think are good enough, but he said he brought it to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. As you think about having joy, I want you to think about it from the perspective that you are the light of Christ to the world. God has said that darkness will never overshadow the light, but if the light never goes, the darkness is never illuminated. That's why we celebrate Advent, to remind ourselves that our perspective needs to be based on the right thing, that the foundation by which we live our lives must be built on the right thing or else the world is going to tell us how to live. The world is going to tell us what the light should do. So my challenge for you is this. I want you to think about where is your joy based? 
Is it based on material things? Is it based on temporal things? Is it based on things that only you can fabricate and can construct? Or is it based on the realization that God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue you from sin? To pull you out of darkness and to restore your brokenness and to create in you a purpose so that you can look upon the rest of creation and realize the love of God that has been brought within you is seeking to come out of you so that other people might hear it. That's what the joy of God is. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for Advent. Even in Advent in the midst of a year is 2020, where it seems each day the human condition is getting worse, where it seems like each day we are becoming a more and more depraved creation. And God, I pray a blessing over your people, not only in this building, not only in other churches in America, but around the world. I pray a special blessing over your people, that we would understand that our joy is not in our government, that our joy is not in our community, that our joy is not in our politics, that our joy is not in our social media. But God, our joy alone must be found in you. That our joy must come from the foundation of realizing that Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, has come to establish your love in our hearts that we might experience happiness and peace. Not as the world gives, but God, only as you can give as the creator of all things. And God, we would realize that each day we are the ones who speak hope. It's not a vaccine that hits the market. It's not the hope that the candidate that we wanted gets in office. But God, it is our message of Jesus Christ alone that speaks hope, that changes lives. So God, I ask that in each person in this room today, that your spirit would captivate their hearts. That you would invigorate their words for life. That you would tune their ears to listening for the opportunity to share the message of joy that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, be with them, your people as they go out and help them to change the world. We pray all these things in your precious and holy son's name. Amen. Will you stand as you are able and join me in our benediction? Remember, this is you saying this with me. It's not just me saying it and you listening. That's why we have it on the screen. Just clarifying that. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has given us the victory. The stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone of my life. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is the one who lives in the name of the Lord. May we be a blessing from the house of the Lord. You are our God, and we will praise you. You are our God, and we will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. As you go out this week, go out knowing that you, you are the light of Christ. 
It's your words that share the message of salvation. It is your actions that become the hands and feet of Jesus to a lost and broken world. So go out in the name of the Father who spoke you into creation to experience happiness, peace, and joy. Go in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, so that the world might experience the light of God. And go in the power of the Holy Spirit who is placed within you to give you the power of God. So go out and change the world. Amen.